Hello, I'm Duncan Wilson, and welcome to this podcast produced by the International Monetary Fund. China is swiftly closing in on the United States as the world's largest economy. The Asian nation's growth rate is several times that of the U.S., and China's economy will be the world's largest within a decade, according to Arvind Subramanian. In his new book, Eclipse, Living in the Shadow of China's Dominance, Subramanian, a senior fellow at the Peterson Institute for International Economics, envisages a world dominated by China's overwhelming economic power. He opens his book with a dramatic scene set 10 years in the future. The United States, broken and battered, turns to the IMF for a bailout. I began by asking Subramanian how, in this scenario, the world's superpower has come to this sorry pass. The U.S. has become really enfeebled in three different respects. One, you know, growth over the next 10 years remains very weak, in part because debt levels are high. Second, of course, is the well-publicized fiscal problem that the U.S. has. It has a a looming entitlements problem and a medium-term fiscal problem, uh, and the U.S. has been unable to come to grips with that. But then there's also a third very important but slightly under-recognized problem, which is what I call the beleaguered middle class problem. That really relates to a a series of related pathologies like median incomes have stagnated over the last, actually, 30 years. Inequality has been rising sharply, especially because people at not at the top but at the very, very top are getting a disproportionate share of the pie. Mobility declines. So the whole American dream of uh, a, a good future for the middle class, for a, a wide cross-section of people, uh, that's in trouble. So, so a combination of these three things makes the U.S. weak, and then you have a trigger, some kind of trigger event. Inflation is very high, and there's a financial crisis, and the U.S. needs help. Uh, money. And, and, and that's the scenario that I say that the U.S. then has to turn to the IMF because it needs uh, resources from outside. So that's about the United States decline. So China, in your telling, becomes the new superpower. So how does that happen for them? The, the flip side of, of America declining is, uh, in my book, you know, China growing uh, reasonably rapidly over the next 20 years. So it's the differential in performance between China and the United States that actually facilitates you know, the eclipse, which I'm talking about, which is China eclipsing the U.S. as the major superpower. And you know, China, going forward, I project, will grow not at the torrid rates it's grown in the last 20, 30 years, but you know, considerably slower, at about 6.5-7% a year. Uh, so its economy becomes bigger. As a result of that, its trade is also booming. And it continues to be a kind of net creditor to the rest of the world. And the U.S. Is, is a, continues to be a net debtor. So it's the combination of this uh, which creates what I call economic dominance. Uh, and the U.S. is kind of uh, lags behind. And by 2030, I claim we will have a world not even, uh, uh, certainly not a G20 or a G7, and not even a G2. I say we'll have a G1 with China as, as the number one. One, because of this differential performance between the U.S. and China over the next 20 years. Looking at that differential performance, and in particular China's projected growth rate, which you say may be around 65 at an annual rate, what are the drivers of growth there? The biggest driver of growth in China is going to be what I call convergence, which is that poor countries have to catch up. 
and the way they catch up is by growing faster than uh, rich countries. And the mechanism by which that happens, of course, is that if you're poor, uh, you have a lot of investment opportunities, so capital flows into your country, and then you also learn how to do things, you know, how to manage an economy, uh, and so your productivity grows. So it's a combination of higher investment, uh, productivity growth, and the fact, of course, that many of these poor countries have very rapidly growing labor force. Uh, so labor, capital, and productivity creates this dynamic of convergence. And essentially, that's the dynamic that I claim will be at play for China, but at a much slower pace than over the last 30 years. Uh, and that's why China will continue growing. So can you tell me more about the political and economic challenges facing China? I, I think there are going to be, in particular, three major uh, challenges for China. What if there's a big shock from a political transition? That's going to affect growth. We know that China's population is aging. So, so the demographic impulse for growth, which has been at play over the last 30 years, that will slow down. So that will slow China. Above all, I think China has had very distorted price for capital and for, uh, uh, for the exchange rate. When those prices correct, there's going to be a shock. So all of these things will, I think, act to slowing China's growth going forward. That's why my projection for China is about 40% slower than what it is growing today. The major premise of your book is that China's economy will, will surpass that of the US within the next decade or so. But I'm wondering, what can other nations learn from that Asian country's rapid growth? The lesson I take away from China's uh, miracle, economic miracle, is the fact that it has a state which delivers some key economic functions in a way that few states around the world have been able to do. If, For example, if you were to contrast what the difference between China and, say, a typical African country is, it's not that in these African countries they haven't reformed and created the conditions for markets. They have, maybe to a greater extent than China, but it's just that they don't have states that can maintain law and order, that can provide the conditions for investment, that can deliver basic goods like, you know, health, education, services and infrastructure. The Chinese state, I think, has been just phenomenal in history. I think no other state has come close to that. So it's that combination of a very effective state plus a turn towards markets after Deng Xiaoping came to power. I think that combination has been fantastic for China. Looking again at your final scenario of China as the G1, how would our world be different with China as the largest actor? Well. In the last 50 years after World War II, for example, 60 years, we've had an open economic and financial system and a trading system, which was in part the legacy of the United States. After World War II, the United States said, never again do we want to repeat the experience of the interwar years. So let's create an open system. So, so the question going forward is that with China in the ascendancy, will that economic system be maintained? Right. And in the book, I argue that there's a very high probability that China will actually continue to maintain the system. So in that sense, the world shouldn't look very, very different from uh, what it is today. And the reason I say that is because China is still poor. Its economic transformation process is still incomplete. The legitimacy of the rulers depends upon delivering that. And an open system is crucial to, to delivering that transformation. So China will have a stake in therefore maintaining that. The, the Chinese policymakers will have a stake in, in, in maintaining that. And I think that's why we should be reasonably hopeful that the world will not be very different. But then I say, of course, that you, know, you can't be sure. There is some small 
possibility or risk that China actually becomes a slightly uh, unbenign hegemon, you know, i.e. uses its power in somewhat uh, undesirable ways. And, and I say that's a low probability event, but I think the world needs to get together to, to take out insurance against that possibility. And my answer to the, i.e. my solution for the insurance is to actually give China is to tether China more to the multilateral system and give it a bigger stake in it. And I think that's what we need to do. And that was Arvind Subramanian, senior fellow at the Peterson Institute for International Economics and author of the newly published Eclipse, Living in the Shadow of China's Dominance. And you can also read a review of his book in December's issue of Finance and Development magazine, which can be found on www.fnd.org. <laughs> <laughs>